You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Let's pray real fast and we'll dive into the Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning again, Lord, that you are here. And Father, I am so grateful to be here. Of all places I could be this morning, I'm so grateful to be here. And I'm so grateful because I know that you are here. And this morning, Lord, I thank you that your love for these people, your love for these people right here in this house is so great. It's so great. It's greater than they could ever imagine, greater than even I could comprehend. So this morning, Father, I thank you that as the word goes forth, I release your love over everyone in here this morning, right now in the name of Jesus. I release your love over everyone in here in the name of Jesus. Whatever fears you may have this morning coming into the presence of God, I thank you that the love of God is greater than that fear. The love of God is ready to remove that fear. And this morning, I just speak from the Lord. hear the Lord saying this to everyone in here this morning. My love for you is greater than that obstacle. My love is bigger than that giant in front of you. And I am in love with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. (sighs) Thank you, Jesus. Just receive the love of God. Let's just take a moment. I have a message prepared, but let's just, this is more important. Just take a moment real quick. If you have something in front of you right now, and I just hear the Lord say, whatever the giant is, my love is greater than that giant. Whatever the problem is in front of you, just stop for a moment and let the Lord love you. He loves you. He's running to the giant for you. You don't have to step onto the battlefield. Stay off the battlefield. Let him love you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, this morning, we commit every problem into your hands. We give you our cares because you care for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, everyone said? Amen. Amen. We're not going to have time. We'll do what we can. Hallelujah. This morning, I want to share with you about lighting the menorah. In fact, I wasn't going to put the, uh, I'm horrible at titles. I say it all the time. I'm horrible at giving my sermons titles. Uh, But I always finish the sermon. I say, okay, what would I call this if I had to call it something uh, so that people know the message, they can go back and grab it. So this morning, I'm going to share about lighting the menorah. Say menorah. Menorah. We're lighting the menorah. Now, why is the menorah so important? The menorah is a Jewish, uh, it's, it's a Jewish term. It's a Jewish concept. All right. And I'm going to show you that in a moment before we, all right, but before we get there, if you have your Bible, you can open up to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, what we're going to see is Jesus is going to say something that we've shared on many times in our church. Jesus is going to say, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And in John chapter 1, John says this, the light that God gave came into the darkness where we were, men. And that life was the light to men. The life that God had came into the dark world and the life, not the light, the life that God had was the light for men. I think I said it backwards. Irrelevant. Jesus is the light of the world and he's here (laughs) and his light is our life. Can you say your light? Oh, come on. Say your light light. 
is my life. One more time. Say, your light is my life. All right? Jesus is the light of the world, and that is your life. All right? John chapter 1. Now, if you're in John chapter 8, we're going to start there in John chapter 8. But keep in mind, Jesus is going to say, I am the light of the world. Now, what's different about the light that when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, you don't have to be afraid. For years, when I was a teenager, I was always taught, you can't hide anything from God. God sees everything. God is everywhere. God is always with you. When you make, he's, and, and, and it put a sense of fear inside me because even when I make a mistake and I know what I'm about to do, God is always there. His light shines in the darkness and everything I want to keep hidden will become exposed. Right? I was always terrified Jesus is the light of the world. And that scared me because I have a lot of things I didn't want the whole world to know about. And at one point Jesus said this, whatever you do in secret will be pronounced on the rooftops. Lord, there's some things I don't want pronounced on the rooftops. Right, is anybody else with me? Okay, just a few of us. Okay, so there's some parts you go, okay, Lord, I don't want everything to be exposed in the light, all right? And then one day, a great man of God stood up and preached a sermon about Jesus being the light of the world. And it transformed my understanding, and I began to realize when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it doesn't mean I'm here to find all your failures. It means I'm here to show my beauty and my perfection on you. Thank you for that thunderous amen, right? <laughs> Jesus is not here to find your faults. When he shines his light on you, he wants your, uh, your enemy. He wants your enemy to see how beautiful you are. And even when you don't see yourself beautiful, when you don't see yourself perfect, you don't see yourself holy, you don't see yourself righteous, you don't see yourself healed, the light of God shines on you and your enemy says, I can't make them any more sick because they're already healed. I have to leave them alone. Here I was trying to convince them that they were failing in life. Here I was trying to convince them that they weren't good enough. But now that the light of God is shining on them, clearly they know how good they are. And you know what's so crazy? Many times God's light shines and it shows our enemies, but we blind our own selves from the truth of God's word. We blind our own selves from the truth of God's word. Are you with me? In the Old Testament, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, the Bible says the glory of the Lord shone so bright that when Moses came down the second time, the second time Moses came down, God said uh, he, he gave Moses his grace and then he gave him the Ten Commandments. The two came together, law and grace. When Moses came down Mount Sinai, his face shone. Are you with me? His face was shining. And you know what the Bible says? The people ran away from him. What's happened in the church for the last 2,000 years? We've come to the house of God and heard, receive Jesus, receive Jesus. All your sins are forgiven. He said, yeah, I want to receive Christ. And then they turn around and say, how dare you? Who do you think you are? Don't you know that you better beg? Oh, you better ask God for forgiveness. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, is all my sin forgiven? <laughs> or am I getting forgiveness a little at a time? I mean, what, which one is it? Is it all me? I'm sorry, is it all Jesus? Or is it Jesus and me? And somewhere the wires were crossed and confusion spread like wildfire. Are you with me? And instead of people saying, I want more of Jesus, they turned and they ran. Because when Moses came down, the law makes your face shine. It does make your face shine. But when law and grace mix together, that shine makes people run from you. It doesn't make people run to you. When Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible says he shone from head to toe. Moses appeared. Elijah appeared. When he came down the mountain, people ran to him. Are you with me? Under the law, people will run from the house of God. Under grace, people will run to the house of God. That's why we are... Oh, man, we are preaching the grace of God because we want people to run to Jesus, not to us, but run to him. And the light that he shines says to sinners, to sinners, I'm not holding your sins against you. Are you with me? 
I'm not holding your sins against you. Now, I've already shared the first part of my sermon, the first verse. So let's look at it. We'll move right along for the sake of time. In John chapter 8, the woman who's caught in adultery is brought before Jesus. And when she's brought before Jesus, uh, the Bible says that they say, Jesus, the law says she should be stoned. What do you say? Jesus stoops on the ground as if he didn't hear them. In the New King James, it says, as if he didn't hear them. I love that. <laughs> he ignores them. <laughs> and he starts writing on the ground with his finger. So then after a while, they realize he's not going to respond to them. They stand up and say, Jesus, again, what do you say? So Jesus says, verse 10, it says, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, I'm sorry, he said to the men, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. He stoops back on the ground and continues writing. All of a sudden, one by one, they realize none of us are without sin, from the oldest to the youngest, and they all start walking away. Then we come to verse 10, it says, Jesus raised himself up and saw no one there but the woman. So what did he say? He said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, we've shared this many times, so I don't want to stay here very long. For years, we were taught, go and sin no more. God won't condemn you. Do you know it doesn't take, the revel it doesn't take a revelation of Jesus to preach that? You don't even need the Holy Spirit to preach that. Thank you for that thunder segment. <laughs> you don't. There are other religions in the world that teach that. Don't sin, you won't be condemned. Our justice system says, don't sin, you won't be condemned. You don't need the Holy Spirit to teach you this. But you do need the Holy Spirit to teach you what Jesus said himself. Because Jesus did not say, don't sin and then you won't be condemned. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. What is the revelation? What is the Holy Spirit telling us? Hey, look. If you can believe that I'm not condemning you, you will have the power to go and sin no more. The power over sin does not come from fear. It comes from realizing that he will not condemn me even if I fail. Now I have the power over sin. And everyone said, Amen. because you won't say it unless I ask you to. <laughs> I love you. I'm just joking. I'm so glad to be home. <laughs> oh man, I'm so glad to be home. So anyways, he says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Then verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again. Now keep in mind, all this is happening in a sanctuary, in a temple. There's a crowd of people behind him. As soon as he says, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them, the crowd behind him saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So when Jesus presents himself as the light of the world, what is he saying? There is no judgment. But if you're walking around feeling guilty, you're walking in darkness. If you're walking around remembering all your failures, you are walking in darkness. And I'm telling you by the grace of God this morning, the Lord is saying he is the light of the world for everyone in here. Whatever area you're going, Lord, I'm not sure if I should turn left or if I should turn right. I'm not sure if I should choose A or if I should choose B. He wants to shine his light into your life. But before he can tell you one way or the other, he wants you to know this. His light is shining on you, telling you, you are perfect. You are holy. You are righteous. You may not act like it, but don't worry. That's what he has done to you. You are in Christ. And everyone said. Amen. Now watch this. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. All right. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Second Corinthians three. We're not going to be here long. But I just want to show you this. The Apostle Paul says this. God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not the old covenant. God has made you sufficient as a minister of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. 
He said, what is the letter? It's the Ten Commandments. Oh, you can't speculate. Okay, let's not speculate. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Well, what is the letter that kills? Verse 7, but if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones. <laughs> this is not Matthew Edwards. <laughs> this is your Bible. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he did not give it for you to have life. He gave it so that sin would increase. The Bible says in Romans, I want to say six, if I'm not mistaken, Romans chapter six, the law was given so that sin might abound. The offense might abound, that sin would increase. God gave the law so that when the law hit your flesh, the moment they heard thou shalt not, they were doomed to fail. Now, why did God give them something that he knew would doom them to fail? So that they would drop to their knees and say, we can't make it. We need you. We need you. And somewhere somebody said, it's okay. You can just keep trying harder. Keep trying harder. And you know what they did? They mixed the law with grace. And the ministry of death that is written and engraved on stones, it is the ministry of death. It was ministering death to us. But the spirit, the ministry of the spirit gives life. Now watch this. The ministry written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. Verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Verse 9, for if the ministry of condemnation, what we just mentioned, right? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Oh man, I'm telling you, if being condemned made someone feel good for a little while, that feeling will pass. But when God declares you are righteous apart from your deeds, you are righteous even when you fail. You are righteous even when you're doing the wrong thing. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. When you receive that, that ministry right there is a ministry that gives life. It gives life. <laughs> Let's not shortchange ourselves. The ministry of righteousness gives life. Amen. Amen. Oh, man, the ministry of righteousness gives life. And the glory that came from the old, that glory passes away. But this light that God is shining on you will never pass away. It will never pass away. And everyone said. Amen. Now, we saw the first time Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Would you like to see the second time? All right. The second time Jesus says, I am the light of the world is in John chapter 9. Very next chapter. Jesus addresses the woman who's caught in adultery. And in the very next chapter, they bring a blind man to him. John chapter 9, verse 1. It says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Now notice he was blind from where? Birth. From birth. Now watch this. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now let's, let's contemplate this for a moment. Is it his sin that he's born blind? <laughs> Is it his parents' sin? That he was born blind. Ah. Ah. What about generational curses? Ah. Jesus handled that at the cross, didn't he? So they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, is it his sin or is it his parents' sin? Let me show you how twisted and how sick it is to be under the law. Too long. All right? Too long. They presupposed it was either his parents' sin or his sin that he hadn't committed yet that God condemned him to be blind. Are you with me? That's how sick it is. When you're under the law, you can't do anything but condemn. 
So when bad things happen, you have to find a reason for it to happen. There must be a reason that this happened to you. So if it wasn't his parents, then it must be something that he will do in the future after he's born. Are you with me? I mean, come on. Is it his sin or is his parents' sin? And isn't that how, I mean, and don't feel judged, but isn't that how most of our minds work? When something happens, you go, oh, what did I do? What did I do? What did I not do? What should I have been doing? Oh, God, you know. And it happens to most of us. It happens to me. Maybe not you. It happens to me. But you know what? When you're under the law of that long, it happens. <laughs> Your mind goes somewhere, something happened or something didn't happen that should have happened. This is my fault. This is somebody's fault. Somebody is to be blamed. Now, what happens is this. The church read Jesus' response, and we've got it so twisted. So last night at 3 o'clock in the morning, I said, Lord, I want an answer. I will not go to sleep till I get an answer. And all of a sudden, 3 o'clock turned to 4 o'clock. And I said, Lord, there was only one second between time. What happened? And I lost an hour of sleep for you. <laughs> because, because I love you so much. So they said, is it his fault or is it his parents' fault? Verse 3, Jesus answered and said, neither. This man nor his parents sin. Now let me show you in the Greek. I'm going to read this first. Let me read it first. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now for years we thought this man was born blind so that God could get glory. And what happened was people have been teaching and preaching, still teaching and preaching to this day. When bad things happen to you, it's so that God can get glory. You are sick because God wants to get glory. You are uh, poor because God wants to get glory. You're going through all these problems in life, the car accidents. I mean, come on, everything that failed in life because God wants to get glory from you. And how sick is it? But if you look at it in black and white, Jesus said, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now, I know too much of grace to know that that cannot be what Jesus said. So I went back and I said, let me look at the Greek structure of it. And I read it as it is, as it appears in the Greek. Now, I didn't want to have too many slides, but suffice to say this, that right there does not appear. It doesn't appear. Now, there's more to it to explain the truth, but I don't want to confuse anybody. If you make that disappear, Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sin, but the works of God should be revealed in him. What was Jesus saying? Stop trying to find a reason and just let the man get healed. Stop trying to find a reason for the failure and just receive my healing. Stop looking for reasons. Stop looking for reasons. Stop trying to find out why you failed. Stop trying to find out why you're sick. Just know, just let God work in you. <laughs> Stop looking for reasons. Oh, man. And I'm telling you, there's more that can prove this. I don't want to confuse you. I'm not a Greek scholar. I'd probably mess it up anyways. But if you drop the word that, it makes so much sense. Because even in the Greek, even in the Greek, even the, um, the, um, the website and the books I use, they put that in brackets. Because it's the best way they can explain it in the English. But that doesn't appear. Because the phrase in the Greek doesn't say that. It says, but, that the, it says, but the works of God should be revealed in him. Instead of trying to find out why you're going through this, just stop and say, you know what? I don't need a reason. Satan wants to give you a reason. But you know what? God is trying to give you the answer. Jesus is the light of the world. And everyone said, Amen. oh man, now watch this. This man is blind. This man is blind. What's Jesus' response? Verse four, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But once he leaves, what happens to the light? Jesus said, it's beneficial for you that I go away. So when I leave, the comforter will come to you and he will put light inside of you. That last part is my part. The Holy Spirit, <laughs> who is the spirit of Christ, he will put the same light that was on Jesus, that same light inside of you. Yes. And now you are the light of the world. Yes. 
you know what Jesus said? You are the light of the world on the Sermon on the Mount. You are now the light. You're carrying the light of the world inside of you. Everywhere you go, stop giving people what they deserve. Give people what they don't deserve. Stop speaking bad things over people who treat you wrong. Speak grace over them. Are you with me? When someone speaks bad about you, don't speak bad about them. Turn around and bless them in the name of Jesus. Be better to them than they are to you. Because if you're only good to people who are good to you, you're no different from sinners who don't have Christ. But be better. Be better. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I hope you're not mad at me. I love you. (laughs) He says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said these things, he spat on the ground, made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind men with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which translated means sent. Another translation means sent one. If you go to the Greek, it means the sent one. Now, let me ask you, who is the sent one? Jesus. Jesus could have healed this man instantly. He could have spoke the word like the Roman centurion and the man could have been healed. He could have touched the man's eyes, the man could have been healed. But Jesus did something different on purpose. What did he do? He spit on the ground, he made clay. He anointed the man's eyes with clay. The man can't see. Then what does he do? Go to the pool of Siloam. It's a sign, it's a picture. Why is, he, why, is he, why is he giving signs and pictures? Because you know what, I want you to see something. If I bring life from the ground, all creation is fallen. I know some of us believe this, and please don't be mad at me, I love you. I know some of us want to believe. You can do this, you can do that, and you can receive life, divine health, divine life. You can get all these things, all these pills, all this stuff. You know what, I can eat different, I can do all this. Let me say this, the world wants what Jesus is giving freely. They want divine youthfulness. They want divine health. They want to live forever. They want to look young. They want to be young. They want everything that Jesus is saying. If you go to creation for it, you'll never get the true answer. But if you will come to me, go to the sent one, you will come back seeing. If you come to me, everything you need in life, I will give it to you. Now, why am I telling you that? Because he started this by saying, I am the light of the world. When he shows up as the light of the world, he's saying, first and foremost, your sin has been removed. The second time he says, I'm the light of the world, what is he saying? I am here to heal you and give you divine health. Not just divine healing, divine health. I don't want to live healing to healing. I want to live in health. Health. And I don't want you to live from healing to healing. I want you to enjoy health. Health. So when people come by you, your light shines on them. They get healthy as well. And everyone said, oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, from here, I want to transition to the menorah. Is that okay? We're not too pressed for time. All right. I want to transition to the menorah. Now, let me show you real quick before we look at the menorah. Let me show you the tabernacle of Moses. Now, in Exodus chapter 25, God says, Moses, come up to me on Mount Sinai. I will give you the Ten Commandments. And the Bible says when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, all right, before God gave him the Ten Commandments, God said, Moses, I want to show you a picture all right, and, and I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time. In a sense, he showed Moses a picture of heaven, but he showed him a picture of heaven that he could duplicate here on earth. So the tabernacle is a type and shadow of what heaven looks like. Now, how do we know this? Because in Revelation chapter 1 to chapter 4, John sees Jesus. John sees all the pieces of the furniture. And in John chapter 4, verse 1, the Lord speaks from his throne and says, come up here. And John says, I looked and there was a veil that had been opened. 
Now we read in the New King James, a door had been opened, but it was a veil that had been opened. In other words, the veil that kept God in the Holy of Holies has now been opened for all of us. There is no separation anymore. So what Moses saw on Mount Sinai was a type and shadow of what heaven looks like. Are you with me? Now why am I telling you this? In the tabernacle of Moses, we're coming to the showbread, but before I can come, I'm sorry, we're coming to the, uh, to the menorah. But before I can show you the menorah, I want you to see this picture. God said there is an outer court, inner court, and there's a holy of holies. Are you with me? In the outer court, that's where the sacrifices happen. Sinners can come to the outer court to be forgiven. They can bring their sacrifice, they can be forgiven. And that's where the priest will wash their hands in the bronze laver. Everything is bronze outside. Are you with me? Part of the church is stuck in the outer courts because they still preach judgment. All right? But grace wakes you up and says, no, judgment happened at the cross. God is not judging you because God judged Jesus for all your sin 2,000 years ago at the cross. Yes. Amen. So we're not in the outer courts. Praise God. All right? But in the outer court, let me ask you, do you know where the light comes from in the outer court? Do you know? There's no covering in the outer court. It's the sun. The sunlight itself is the light. When you go into the inner courts, if you want to go all the way to where God is, in God's presence, there's only one piece of furniture. It's the Ark of the Covenant. And in the presence of God, you know what the light is? God himself. God himself is the light. You don't need candles in the Holy of Holies. God himself is the light. Are you with me? But what about the in-between? What about the inner courts? Again, outer, inner, Holy of Holies. What about the inner courts? In the inner courts, there are three pieces of furniture. And this picture shows you, you have the table of showbread, you have the menorah that faces it, and then you have the altar of incense. Now this picture is kind of blurry, you can't really see it very well. Let me back up one picture. This gives you a little bit of a better idea, right? Again, on the right side, you have the bronze altar, the bronze labor, this is the outer courts. Then you step over into the holy place, or the inner courts. You have the table of showbread at the top, you have the lampstand on the bottom, which is the menorah, and then you have the altar of incense on the left. You go beyond that veil, you have the Holy of Holies, where God himself is. Now again, every piece of furniture in the tabernacle is wood overlaid with gold. Wood overlaid with gold. Where God is in the Holy of Holies, the Spirit of God rested on the Ark of the Covenant, which was a wooden box overlaid with gold. Now why is that important? Because wood speaks of humanity. It speaks of humanity. Now, I can show you that, and, but again, for the sake of time, I don't want to, I just want to, if I can just give you the facts and we'll move on. Is that okay? All right. Wood speaks of humanity, but gold speaks of God's divinity and it speaks of God's righteousness. It speaks of God's nature, who he is. Are you with me? Now, again, every piece of furniture in the tabernacle is wood overlaid with gold. Sometimes the wood speaks of us. Sometimes the wood speaks of Jesus. But every time you see wood, it speaks of humanity. The only piece that is not mixed with wood, but is solid gold. You know what it is? The menorah. It's the menorah. And what is the menorah? It's the lampstand. Let me show you the picture of the menorah. This is the menorah. All right? It's the lampstand. It's the only piece of furniture that is solid gold. No wood. Now, why is that important? What does this have to do with life? How does this help me on Monday to Saturday? I will show you. All right? Solid gold means this. It's all God and none of me. Are you with me? All God, none of me. Now, when Moses saw the lampstand, you can look it up for yourself. I think it's in Exodus 25, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. I think it's Exodus 25. But when God talks about the menorah, he says this. 
I want you to make sure that the, the, the lamps are always facing forward. In fact, I'll show you that in just a moment. When Moses saw the lampstand, let me show you the picture. Let me show you the type. What did Moses see? Now, he saw a lampstand, but all of this is God veiling something for us to see. Moses saw a literal lampstand. God calls that the shadow. What you have inside of you is the true lampstand. That is the substance. Are you with me? Now, in preparation for this Sunday, and I want, oh man, I couldn't wait to share it. In preparation for this Sunday, the Lord impressed on me. Many of us, all right, many of us are trying to determine left and right. You're trying to determine door A or door B, all right? And some of you are saying, okay, I don't know what to do or how to get there just yet. All right, so this morning I'm going to share how to light the menorah and find the path that God wants you to take. Now, the reason why I can say that is this. Coming into this Sunday, I myself had a question. And I myself was going, God, I don't know which way to go. I'm not really sure what to do. And so what happened was, I'll just tell you, what happened was I started praying in the spirit. And I started praying in the spirit. And as I was praying in the spirit, I just had a thought. Call your mom. Now, if you know me, I'm like, that's just me. God, you can give me the answer. And then again, I was driving and the Lord said, I just, I saw my mom in my head. Mom. I said, all right, I'll call her, but I won't bring it up. So I called her and said, hey, Ma, uh, what are you doing? And she says, nothing. I'm sitting here with the kids. We're all watching TV. I said, okay, well, what are you doing? And she starts talking a little bit. And then all of a sudden again, I could, in my mind, I saw myself tell her the story. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to tell her a story. So I said, Ma, do you have a minute? Yeah, I got time. Parker sitting here watching TV with the kids, you know, Aaron and Hannah. So I said, okay. So I told her a story. It's a long story. I can talk a lot. In case you didn't know. So I, I tell her the story. And when I t finished telling her the story, she paused for about 10, 15 seconds. And I'm like, are you still there? She says, yeah. I think you should do this. Now, coming out of that conversation, coming out of that conversation, when I hung the phone up, I knew I had received wisdom from God. I knew I had received wisdom from God. And part of me, part of my struggle was, Lord, why didn't you just give me the answer? Why did I have to call her? But you know what happened when the Israelites crossed over the Red Sea? Three days later, they ran out of water. And they were so ready to kill Moses that when they came across water, the water was bitter. And they said, Moses, you brought us out here to die. Let's kill Moses. Moses cried out to God, God, they want to kill me. And God said, let me show you something. Now, Jesus, when he turned water to wine, did not go outside and bring water from the outside in. He took the filthy water they had inside and turned that water into wine. God could have turned the bitter water sweet without having Moses walk away from the water at all. But what was God trying to do? He was trying to show him a picture of his son. And when you see Jesus in the midst of your problem, you will have wisdom for the next time you encounter this type of problem. You won't rely on yourself. You'll be able to rely on him. Now, why am I telling you that? In the midst of this problem, I'm going, God, just give me the answer. I'm praying in the spirit. Just give me the answer. Give me the answer. And the Lord says, call your mom. And she has the answer that I needed. Are you with me? And I knew I'd received the wisdom from God. And what was the Lord showing me? The same thing I'm trying to tell you this morning. That you know what? God is trying to teach you and he's trying to give you wisdom. You see, if I solve every problem that Parker has by the time he turns four, I'll solve everyone now. So if you are a problem, I will solve you. And everyone said. If I solve every problem Parker has by the time he's six or seven, he will grow up thinking, Daddy solves everything. But a good father will say, I could pay for this and fix it, but I'm going to show you how to fix it. So that next time you find yourself here, if you can't get a hold of me quickly, you'll know how to fix it. Instead of being terrified by how big the giant is, you'll know what to do. Are you with me? So again, what is the Lord trying to say? Hey, look, I want to walk you through some of the problems. Now, when you're very, very young, I'll just pull you out of the problem. 
Very, very young, I'll pull you out. Are you with me? Because you're too young. But when the Lord says, I'm going to walk you through it, it means you're maturing in Christ. It means God sees you're growing up. You're not young like everyone else that I have to pull out the fire. With you, I'm going to step into the flames with you. Are you with me? Anyways. So, what are we talking about? The menorah. So, anyways, the menorah. So, Moses sees the type and shadow of the menorah. He sees the menorah. But what is the menorah? Now, I don't want to confuse you, so I'm not going to show you the next verse. It's in Isaiah chapter 11. I won't show you. In Isaiah 11, verse 2 and 3, God says, all right, God says, these are the seven spirits of God. And the first spirit he mentions is the spirit of the Lord. It's the spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit himself is the spirit of Christ. Seven spirits of God. The first one mentioned is the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the Lord. Why is that important? Do you know that when the priest would come in to light the menorah, if you walk into a dark room, you turn the lights on. When you walk into the holy place, there's no light. So how do we light? How do we light the menorah? You don't just light from left to right, right to left. All right. You know what you do? You light the one in the middle. And then with the, uh, the one that's lit in the middle, you light the rest from there. Now, why is that so important? The Jewish people call the one in the middle the servant lamp. Are you with me? You know why? Because when that one is lit, then you can light the rest. The one in the middle is called the servant lamp. Is everyone still with me? All right, servant lamp. John saw a picture of this in Revelation. You know what John saw? Revelation chapter 1. John said, then I turned to see who... Then I turned to see whose was the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. What did John see? He saw the menorah. Are you with me? He said, I turned to see the voice who was talking to me, and I saw seven lampstands, the menorah. Three on one side, three on the left, three on the right, three on the left, one in the middle, seven. Then he says in verse 13, and in the midst of the lampstand, one like the Son of God, Son of Man, which is in another translation, Son of God, the Son of Man, clothed with a robe, which reached to his feet with a girdle of gold about his breast. Now this is the Amplified Translation. What did John see in the book of Revelation? John heard someone speak to him from behind and said, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. When John turned to see the voice who was talking, John saw a lampstand. But in the middle, the one in the middle was Jesus himself, the Son of Man. Are you with me? Now, what did I say? The first spirit of God that's mentioned in Isaiah is the spirit of Christ himself. Are you with me? The one in the middle they call the servant lamp. Now why am I telling you this? When he turned and saw Jesus in the middle, what did he see about Jesus? That he was wearing a golden girdle across his chest. Did you know that servants and slaves back then would wear a girdle around their chest? On the night Jesus was betrayed, the Bible says he took his robe off and wrapped it around himself, grabbed a, a, a bowl of water and began to serve the disciples by washing their feet. The same one who is exalted in glory, the same one who is seated at the right hand of God, the same one who is above every principality and power, and at his name every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. The same one who there is no one else above him except God himself. The same one is wearing a girdle around his chest today, telling you, I am here so that I can serve you. I am here so I can serve you. And religion says, I'm here to serve God. I want to serve God. He says, let me serve you first. Let me serve you first. Are you with me? Now, if, again, if you're walking in darkness or you say, Lord, I'm not sure which direction I should take. He wants to be the servant lamp that lights the rest of the menorah for you. So you know where you're going. Are you with me? Now, again, I'm not going to show you Isaiah because for the sake of time. Now, 
When you see this, the menorah, again, Jesus is the one in the middle. He's the one in the middle. He is the servant lamp that lights everything else. Now watch this. In Psalm 119, very famous verse, Psalm 119, 105, David said, Your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When I was getting ready for this, I knew that verse and I thought, I can't use that because for years we thought David said, Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. What did we think the word of the Lord is? This, right? This. The word of the Lord is a lamp to my feet, it's a light unto my path. But then, when I was getting ready for this Sunday, and I, and I told Christina this, I have to go back and listen to these sermons. Sometimes God teaches me on Saturday night. And so I didn't get a lot of time. To, sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes I get it on Saturday night. And in a month from now, I go, I said that? Man, that was good. So I have to go back and listen to myself, all right? But Saturday night, last night, I saw this for the first time. Never saw it before. He says, your word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, I believe when you pray in the spirit, that's how you light the servant lamp and that's how you light the rest. I believe when you pray in the spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is the middle lamp, says, thank you. Now I can light the rest of the menorah and shine light where you were walking in darkness. I believe that. And I'm going to show you why in just a second and I'll close with this. Okay, not this verse. I'll close in a, in a moment. Don't get excited. I'm not done yet. Right. Your word, O oh Lord, is a lamp to my feet. In the same chapter, he says this, all your law which is the word for Torah. The word Torah in the Hebrew is all your written instructions. Here he says your word, but later on he says your written instructions. So why not use the same word if the word for word here is something that's written? So I said, what is the word for word in the Hebrew? And you know what the word for word is in the Hebrew? It's dabar. Can you say dabar? Dabar. Why is dabar so important? Because dabar is not something that's written. Dabar is something that is uttered and something that is spoken. Your word, your word, not mine, your spoken word is a lamp to my feet. Your spoken word is a light to my path. When I'm walking in darkness, listen, Paul said, I will pray with the understanding, but I will also pray in the spirit. Why? Because when I pray in the spirit, God is speaking through me. The Holy Spirit is speaking through me and his words will put light where there seems to be darkness. If you come to me and say, Matthew, I'm not sure if I should choose A and B. Pray with me. I'll say, Lord, give them light. <laughs> I don't know which one you should do. I don't. But if you come to me and say, Matthew, pray with me. Now I'm going to say, go home and pray in the spirit. Don't you want to pray with me? No, you go pray in the spirit. <laughs> All right. I'm going to be a pastor to you. You go home, you pray in the spirit. All right. Let's pray in the spirit. You know what happens? When you pray in the spirit, the spoken word of God that comes out of your mouth becomes a lamp to your feet and becomes a light to your path. Lamp to your feet, meaning what? Whatever trap you're about to step into, he will expose the trap in front of you. Are you with me? And a light to your path, meaning if you're not sure where you're heading, what down the road, he'll show you what you need to see down the road as well. Your word, O oh Lord, is a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. When I pray in the spirit, light is coming all around me. And the beauty of the menorah is not one candle, it's seven candles. Meaning what? I'm going to show you some over here, I'm going to show you some over there. Everyone who steps into my lane with me, I can't tell you what's on the other side of you, but I can tell you what's on this side of you. Are you with me? I can give light to everyone else around me because the light in me is shining forth. Your word, O oh Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, man. Can I, can I show you another one? We have a little time. Am I talking fast? All right. 
Someone once said, uh, I'm not sure how a stadium, why a stadium gets so hot when there's so many fans in it. <laughs> All right, sorry. I had to. I had to. All right. Let me show you, let me show you two more things and we'll close. I'll make it quick. I'll make it quick. Second Timothy chapter one, Paul says this to Timothy, who is a young pastor. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love and of a sound mind. Right. We know that verse. I know that verse. Uh, I, I learned it growing up. Right. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. Right. I love that verse. So what happens? Back up. Paul says, therefore, verse 6, I remind you to stir up the gift of God. One translation says this. I remind you to fan into flame the gift. Fan into flame the gift. So for years I thought, what is the gift of God? That he's a pastor because God gives gifts to the body. But then I realized, no, 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 he's not talking about the gift of pastoring. He's talking about the gift that God gave him. He's talking about the gift that God gave on the day of Pentecost. The same gift that God gives when you ask him for it. The same gift that we will offer at the end of this service. The gift of what? Speaking in tongues. The gift of being baptized with the Holy Spirit with the utterance of speaking in tongues. Are you with me? So what does he say? Fan that gift into flame. Fan it into flame. Why? Because if you're not careful, if you're not praying in the Spirit a lot, that flame will become low. So fan that flame up and make it bigger so that you can see more. And how do you do it? Therefore, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I thought it was when you lay hands, you fan into flame. But that's not accurate. He's saying you receive that gift when I laid hands on you. Are you with me? What gift did you receive when I laid hands on you? If you go back and read Acts, whenever hands were laid, many times they received the Holy Spirit. Not every time. Many times they did. So what is Paul saying? The gift that you received when I laid my hands on you, the utterance of speaking in tongues. Praying in the spirit at all times. That gift, fan it into flame. Are you with me? Then what does he say? Why? For or because God has not given us a spirit of fear. Whatever you are afraid of, fan that light into a flame. Fan that candle into a flame. And I guarantee you this, whatever you are afraid of, when the light shines on it, you'll see what it really is. You won't need to be afraid anymore. You won't be afraid anymore. Everyone was terrified of Goliath. David, they saw Goliath and they saw themselves. David saw God, then he saw Goliath. Are you with me? When you fan, when you fan it into a flame, the light will shine and you'll begin to see the problem for what it actually is. What is this problem compared to my God? Are you with me? Not what will happen to me if I go through this, oh God. He's sitting there going, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. Let's fan this into flame. Come on, pray in the spirit. And when you pray in the spirit, all of a sudden that little candle turns into a flame. I mean, come on, it flames. And all of a sudden the light shines forth and you realize, oh, this, this was nothing. I'll step over this like it was nothing. This was not a problem at all. Because God has not given you a spirit of fear. But he gave you a spirit of power, a spirit of, and a spirit of. And everyone said, oh man. I can close there. Can I show you one more? I love you so much. I, man, I told you, this is like two weeks worth of, you know. last, last, last verse. And I promise after this, I'll stop talking. Leviticus 24, verse 1 and 2. And I had to show you this. Oh, my God, I had to. It didn't matter if you said yes or no. I was going to show you anyways. <laughs> Leviticus 24, verse 1 and 2. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, now he's talking about the lampstand. And I'll close with this. He's talking about the lampstand. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the children of Israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to make the lamps burn continually. 
And we'll close with this. Seems like a simple verse, okay? Pure oil from olives. That's not important. Most of the time I would keep reading. But when I read this, I'm telling you, these words jumped off the page and I had to share it with you this morning. And we'll close with this. Why pure oil? And then what did I put in gold? Command the children of Israel that they should bring to you pure oil. When I was getting ready, I said, Lord, everything must be rooted and grounded in what Jesus did for us. Everything must be rooted and grounded in what Jesus did for us. So I said, Lord, where did Jesus suffer to give us this gift? Where did Jesus suffer? And you know where Jesus suffered? In the Mount of Olives, in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Mount of Olives. <laughs> Are you with me? That's where the oil, that's where the olives come from, where they get the oil to press. And you know what? You don't just take the olive and burn it. You must press it and press it and press it and press it. And when you press it and keep pressing it, all the oil flows from it. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was pressed and he was pressed and he was pressed. And he all, I'm telling you, all the oil flowed from him. And all the way from the garden, all the way to the cross, Jesus was pressed so that you and I would have oil to light the light. We would have oil to light the lamp. And we could stop there, but then the Lord showed me this. He said this. Oh, I backed up. Then he showed me this, that they bring to you, that phrase, that they bring to you. Why does God say, I want them to bring it to you? Why does God not say, Aaron, Moses, tell your, tell your brother Aaron, the high priest, tell him to go get olives. Why didn't he tell the priests who work in the temple, you go out and find olives every day? Why did he say that the people must bring olives themselves? Would you like to know this? I'll close with this. Why is it important that the people bring the olives themselves? And I'm telling you, when I saw this, the Lord said this, Son, Jesus did not just pay for you to have the light. He stood in darkness for you. He took your place. Pray with me. Jesus started in the Garden of Gethsemane in the Mount of Olives, where the pressure started. And then at the cross, for three hours, he hung in darkness. For three hours, he hung in our place in darkness. And he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All in darkness. So that you can always say, my father, my father, I'm so grateful that you're always with me. And you can say it in the light. He didn't just pay for us. He also took our place so that we can have the light of life. And my prayer for everyone this morning and in just a moment, in fact, go ahead, every head bow real quick. If you would just bow your heads. Father, I ask right now where anyone in here this morning is saying there's uncertainty. I'm not sure if I should go left or if I should go right. I'm not sure uh, if I should choose door A or door B. Father, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would begin to shine your light into their life. You would begin to shine your light into their life. And this morning, even as we leave this place, Father, I thank you that we will begin. You will encourage them and inspire them and remind them to pray in the spirit. Because your word, O Lord, is a lamp to our feet and your word, O Lord, is a light unto our path. And Father, I thank you that as we leave this place, whatever traps the enemy has set up, the ones you have removed, and even the ones that, that it seems like, well, Lord, how did I end up here? I thank you that as they pray in the spirit, as we pray in the spirit, we are maturing in you. We are growing up in you. And we're beginning to realize that you are walking us through these things. And Father, I thank you that your light always gives life. So, Father, we thank you this morning for what you've done through the finished work of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the finished work of Christ. And Father, I thank you that no one in here walks in darkness. Not one of us, even our children, can walk in darkness. Because we have you. You are the light of the world. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. 
If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.